Welcome, everybody, to episode 43 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Richard Greenfield and Walter Pisick. And guys, an exciting week for us this week. Well, yesterday was an exciting day. Rich, you called yesterday to me one of the best days of your career. Why don't you tell everyone why? Look, I think the outpouring of support um, that we got from the launch of Lightshed Ventures, just I mean, not just from investors, but just the entire industry, everyone just seems so excited for us to finally launch a venture fund. I mean, I think everyone's sort of known we've wanted to do this for a long time. And I think the fact that we went out yesterday, announced it and got it going, and it, it just was really, really exciting to see the enthusiasm for, for Lightshed Ventures. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be great but i just it was great to hear it but i think the sort of what was you know probably the most surprising thing brandon was getting a little bit of shout out from a family member of yours we have oh here God. our first tweet or actually this is tweet of the week for lightshed this is <laughs> i mean this is amazing this is this is lois ross who has the handle Psycho Gourmet, which we'll get which to at another I, I, point. I'll, I'll explain that. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Why what? do moms love the emojis? My mom does the same thing with these crazy, like, you know, whatever. Pinata is, emojis. <laughs> and like, I, don't e- I don't even know what the middle emoji is here, but it's some kind of celebration. And she wrote Wahoo. Um, Wahoo. Which, Oh, I, I was like, like she was probably like, most likely in Yahoo email before she tweeted that. But uh, thanks for Did embarrassing me. Your mom not sending me. you like the, the the throwing kisses emoji because I get a lot of those as well. I don't know. Yeah, like, I get uh, Brandon. We appreciate the emojis. We we appreciate the support from the Ross family. <laughs> it was very nice to see that support publicly yesterday. So well, we didn't get support from all of the Ross family. I'm still waiting on something but, from Eric, your brother. I mean. L- Walt, you you got a Mazel Tough from Jason. I, I did. didn't get anything from Jason. <laughs> so I think he likes you better than he likes me at this point. Uh, Mike, funny. okay, let's let's go to the first um, slide of the week, which is obviously this past weekend was the Super Bowl and Sports Business Journal. Now, w- what happened? Uh, we should give a little bit of backstory be- even before we get to this. So th- the story that's come out is that the reason why ratings didn't come out on Monday is because supposedly CBS asked Nielsen to do a recount. So this is sort of feels like politics all of a sudden. CBS asked for a recount because the number was so bad. And so that's why it, that's why it took till I again I'm not making this up. That is the story. I can't verify did, it myself. Did they say find 9 million viewers? <laughs> Just find God. them. Uh, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know, but you know, look, the numbers being down, you know, I think, Brandon, you know, this is Sports Business Journal. CBS averaged 91.6 yeah. million viewers for the Super Bowl, the game's lowest TV viewerships in 2006. However, the game performed better on digital with six million streamers setting a Super Bowl record and is up 65 percent. Look, the story but here, that, right, is that 91 is all inclusive, right, across all platforms. No, I mean, the, the number overall was like 97 okay, down from like okay. 102. So, but which, so by the way, like, for, for championships this year or over the past season, that's not bad. Obviously, you hold remember. Hold on. Uh, stop. That's not like that's down not, 30s and 40s. But this is the fucking Super Bowl. I get it. I'd say that's phenomenal. I'd say phenomenal. I mean, being down mid to high single digits when everything else is down 30, 40, 50 is yeah. incredible on a relative basis. I think also I the game know, wasn't I mean, great. 
Okay, well, hold on. But it's also a great storyline. Brady versus a very um, popular young quarterback. Yeah, it's but, COVID. But like Brady versus the you... potential next Brady. Yeah, what what else are you doing? Like you're in COVID. Like I don't know. It seemed like the setup. This is like you know America's second Thanksgiving in terms of people gathering around and, and whatever. I mean, yeah, I guess you couldn't have large gatherings of people, but like. That should have helped ratings. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I was I was just thinking that shouldn't it shouldn't have there been more households tuning in? Yeah, because, because everyone was alone. Gathering. Yeah, that's, that's, that's depending a fair what point. state depending what state you live in, maybe there were still large gatherings, and you know some states, Al- Alabama probably had large Florida. gatherings. Yeah. Hey, any but, any listeners from Alabama? We're not picking on you. But no, but, it's Walt, just he knows what the state rules are there. That's his, that was his only point. But Walt, huh. you actually were using CBS. I believe you were using well, CBS. I att- no, no, which I attempted to use the CBS app. Can I? Ask and you I actually I- did do it early. It wasn't this last minute thing, and I could tell. Like it kept making me reauthenticate, and then like as soon as the game started, the whole thing crashed. CBS <laughs> app, and I, I was like going bananas. And then I'm like downloading. Um, I, I think I activated YouTube TV just to watch the Super Bowl because this thing was crashing on me. It was crazy. It reminds me, um, friend of the podcast, Dave Temkin, um, from from Netflix. It just technology is hard, and and I've noticed that certain companies consistently deliver great streams. Others don't. Like Fox, horrible streams in terms of of their apps, and the CBS is just a horrible performance. You had one job to to get this right. You knew there was going to be a lot of people using your app. You want people to use your app, right? You're it's, getting especially ready to, to see all those Paramount Plus ads. You really need people to use to use that app. But like, I mean, this just goes back to what we were talking about with WWE abandoning streaming. Streaming is hard, right? And well, live streaming is even harder. Yeah, and live streaming is harder, but it's about the entire experience, not just the content that you have. Well, I agree. Right. So you want to, you want the, the, to be smooth and you want me to come back there and literally I, I didn't come back. I basically downloaded a different app. I may never go back to that because of that really poor experience. This is, you know, when I think about all of these companies getting into streaming, very few of them have invested. I mean, I think if you look at Netflix, sure, they have 200 oh, yeah. plus million subscribers, it's the, a the, it's a purpose driven you yeah, know, company, sure. and we'll get but, to that when we discuss you know Twitter versus Clubhouse later. But. Sure, but 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 Brandon, Netflix is spending over two billion dollars a year on technology. I mean that's operating expense every year on technology. They have thousands of engineers and, and people you know on the technology side. I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting is now that you've got all of these media companies, legacy media companies, jumping into streaming who are not spending anywhere near the resources that a Netflix or an Amazon are spending. And let by alone the way, Apple. don't even have access to the engineering talent. Right. Because engi- real right. engineering talent doesn't that, That's exactly what I was going to say, Brian. It's yeah. more than just money. It's also just having yeah, the expertise recruiting. of knowing what to do. Maybe distributed I, helps that because you could get top engineers from overseas or something. But you're basically saying, how do you get a top Netflix engineer or top yeah. you know, YouTube engineer to go work at Paramount Plus or to go work at Discovery Plus. Exactly. Like it almost, it sounds even comical just saying it out loud. Like you can't obviously, I mean, you know, you t- how are you going to tell your mom 
that you're going to go work at one of these legacy media companies in tech versus going to work for, you know, one well, of the behemoths. I know, I know what my mom would say. She would say, wahoo. Wahoo. <laughs> With some emojis. <laughs> okay, but emojis. <laughs> let's move from tech for a second and let's just talk about the commercials because I yeah. think the other part of the Super Bowl that was interesting is it was a nonstop promotion for Paramount Plus. What I thought was surprising, Brandon, is that we all we know about Paramount Plus from the ads that ran during the Super Bowl is that it's basically the content that's already on TV is going to be on Paramount Plus from, you know, you had, you know, Stephen Colbert, obviously in this in this ad that's up on the screen right now, you had Snooki from NTV. We got no sense of any new programming at all. Maybe they're saving it for the analyst day, but there was no new programming I, that I was highlighted. That. If, if, if you have the programming, you're showing it off during the Super Bowl. That those are the most expensive right. ads around, even if you own the ad inventory, first of all. Second of all, it just feels like, I don't know, we're just going a la carte. That's that's what's happening. It, everything that was in the bundle is going You're slicing. To, you're basically slicing it up into pieces that, now. That's it. And selling it a la carte. So you're losing the, the benefits across subsidization. This is going to be fun to watch uh, as all of these companies. Well, there's you know, going to be a rebundling, which is what we said, right? There's right. But the question there's is going to wind up being M&A business. In, I, was a business insider or no, the information wrote about what we've been saying about Warner and NBCU getting together. The tech challenges and this sort of lack of content together are going to lead to that. You mean this story, Brandon? We have uh, Alex Heath with. No, we have it here. Before entertainment industry veteran Jeff Shell became CEO of NBC at the start of 2020, he told colleagues that NBC needed to merge with Warner Media to have enough scale to compete. Certainly fits with what we wrote back in November, right? That you know NBC and HBO should merge. Yeah, I don't know to what extent this was inspired by what we wrote <laughs> or whether there's new information and conversations that they had. I'm sure it was a mixture. But one of the things that's interesting, and we're going to go to the next slide, this was a, a publicist presentation that uh, somebody leaked out online. This is, uh, I don't know, Shane Biglione. I don't know who this is, but he 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 basically um, tweets out a couple of the slides and I guess some of the language that was being used. And I'm just going to read it because it really makes you think about from the Super Bowl to the question of streaming that you were just bringing up, Brandon, in terms of the bundle breaking. In the last four years, 39% of linear TV's advertising supply, so commercial spots, 39% of those commercial spots supply has disappeared in the US. To put that in perspective, if, if it were the fast food wow. industry, it'd be the size equivalent of McDonald's, Burger King, KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and Wendy's all going out of business. In the wireless industry, it would mean Verizon going out of business. In the beer industry, AB InBev going out of business. And in the airlines, American, JetBlue, and Delta all disappearing. Just to kind of give you the scale of like what's happened in just four years in TV in terms disappear. of viewership. Well, that's true. But but CPMs have kind of gone up. And so the... Uh, the numbers haven't been that bad yet. But this goes to something Walt wrote uh, recently about Verizon, you know, trying to reach people through linear TV, you're reaching fewer and fewer people. You're hitting the same people over and over again. And it's becoming a least, uh, less and less useful medium 
to actually drive your business objectives. And I think that's what, when I see slides like that, I just think that it is a wake up call to brands that there's new places they have to be marketing. And I, I just have to believe, you know, we've got this slide right after it well, that shows. Rich, digital spend has been up massively. And we've seen that tailwind across kind of all the digital platforms, the ad-based. Well, re- read platforms. this slide, Brandon. Read this slide because it's fascinating. Okay. This is from Eric Mokaya. Every quarter, I update my YouTube versus Netflix chart just for fun. This is the first quarter that YouTube ad revenues only exceed those of Netflix. And look, YouTube's growth has just been amazing at this point in its life cycle. It just, it's actually, I think growth is accelerating. And I know connected TV is a big part of that. Um, People are now watching on their TV screens and there's an, a real ecosystem being built around that. But it, it, it's still pretty mind blowing. Well, especially what we were looking at things like TikTok and going, oh, TikTok comedy and music videos and so much of the creator economy on TikTok. And like, what does this mean for YouTube? And like, we were starting to get a little nervous that maybe this would matter and eat into some of the growth of, of YouTube. And the reality is YouTube is exploding, not just in in advertising, but in time spent and usage and big screen, as you said, on the connected TV. I mean, I was listening. We were in um, a, a club. Sorry, we were in a clubhouse the other night with Mr. Beast being interviewed by Sriram. And when Mr. Beast was asked, where do you put content to make money? He goes, there's no question. The only place to put content if you want to make money as a creator is on YouTube. I, I, it's just sort of staggering just looking at those numbers. And if you're a brand and you're thinking about that collapse in, in commercial spots, the drop in Super Bowl viewership, everywhere you look, the, all these streaming services launching, eating into TV time spent, how can you not be looking at YouTube? I mean, it's got to be the single best place for a video advertiser to be putting dollars. Uh, it just seems simple. And I know, I know it's growing fast, but I think that's why it's growing fast is that the answer is so obvious that you have to be shifting dollars from linear TV into YouTube every single day. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, I'm going to make you read this because you because are the clubhouse. Well, no, because you're the clubhouse <laughs> fanatic. You're the clubhouse fanatic. So you read this and then I'm sure you're going to have very strong opinions about it. That's okay. You could, you can give your opinion first, then I'll rebut. Uh, this is from modest proposal quote. Twitter has another advantage when it comes to recruiting participants for spaces, an engaged user base filled with some of the world's most prominent people. When Elon Musk goes on Clubhouse, it's a news story. When he logs onto Twitter, it's Wednesday. What do you think, Rich and Walt? Well, look, we, we used Twitter spaces the other night for the first time when we launched Ventures, we went on and for me, what's the great part about it is everybody can go on. Like I have a, I have 41,000 followers on Twitter and, you know, they, and anybody from the whole world who wants to go, fo- you know, wants well, to go join in. If you have a, if you have a graph <laughs> built out, it is extremely helpful in identifying people who you want to listen to on clubhouse. Well, I was going to say Twitter spaces. Oh, sorry. But, Twitter spaces. That that was my bad. That was your. Yes. Oh, no, no, it's fine. But that's sort of the problem, right? Like Clubhouse is you great. have you already have an embedded graph. So why do you think do you draw a difference between the two of them so far? Like, do you notice? I, like, did, I mean, look, one Clubhouse is a purpose driven app. 
right? And I think there's two aspects about it that I like. One is that I go there, I, I've started to build my follower graph, my interest graph, and I go there when I want to hear something that is something I'm interested in. But I also go to- And, and, and you'll browse through Explore. What does your interest graph oh, have to do with thing. that? You, you see every room. So who cares? Well, you that, up your, you're, get, you're getting to my point. There are alerts, right, for people when they go live yes, who are on your interest graph. But yes. I also go there as a destination in the same way that I used to go there when I was watching television back in the day. I turn it on and see kind of what's on and explore. And there's a certain serendipity to that that you, I you like love that word relative. You no, I do word. like that word because I think it matters, but tw Twitter for me right now, and partially it's my fault is a big, is a big filter bubble. When I go there, I'm kind of going to find exactly the topics that I care about and want to get deep on immediately, as opposed to clubhouse, which is a much more casual experience. A lot of the time where I, I don't know me. necessarily what I'm looking for. Doesn't seem to me that that would be hard to replicate for Twitter with a separate tab. Whether they want to do it or whether they actually do it is a different thing. So they have these people. And I think one of the things we talked about last night, and I think Anthony Noto yep. did a really good job at, at describing the value of Twitter is having an audio conversation about the news flow that's occurring on Twitter, which is unique to Twitter, something that Spotify does not have, um, that certainly Clubhouse doesn't have. And you could argue... I don't know what Facebook would have, but I guess they would have some some version of stuff that's flowing through. But that 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 could it's, actually provide another attraction to why you'd want to talk on um, t a Twitter well, or Spaces, but while while seeing the tweets scroll down about what's being talked about. Well, I'll say this: I don't. When I'm on Clubhouse, I don't necessarily want to sit and read or ever on Twitter. Sort of a fast scroll of being written by people that I don't care about at all. Okay. But like, I'm on clubhouse. Having, having a scroll there doesn't, doesn't really necessarily do anything for me. Okay. So let's, hold on. Let, let's just think about something. Apple has their next big event, WWDC. Let's just say there's a WWDC. We tried this on clubhouse, but now imagine we do it on Twitter spaces and we're, we're, we're on Twitter spaces. We're curating a room. And as we're doing it, everything with the hashtag, we call the room, you know, WWDC and we attach the hashtag WWDC and below while people are in the room, all the tweets with WWDC are scrolling through as people are in the room and as we're talking about it. And we can talk to things that are happening and people are tweeting about it in real time. I'm not saying that's going to be. It's, well, I'll, give, I'll give a more specific example. If you're in a room of Clubhouse, like I text people on the side about what's going in the room in Clubhouse. If you have five people speaking up top, you're sitting there silent. They've they've turned off, raise your hand. And you've got, so one of the Clubhouses, the guy was saying, they've now started a separate webpage to go to, to talk about what's going on in the room. So now this purpose-driven app is sending people yeah. to a completely different, <laughs> a completely different site to talk about what's going in the room where Twitter is already built to integrate those two things together. So you're talking about adding a feature, which is messaging. Sure. Which is, you know, first of all, not something that Twitter has done well in the past, number one. And number two, probably shouldn't be that difficult to integrate into the product. If they choose if to do they, it. If they choose if to they do execute. it. If they execute. And right. there's, there's definitely... Um, 
you know, puts and takes on whether that would enhance or detract from the experience. Right. So we'll say, I don't, but the point maybe a couple of things. One is it's, it's early for both these products. Both products are going to evolve. Two is I don't know if this is a winner take all category. There may be certain purposes where it makes sense to go to Twitter for a focused discussion there and other times when it makes sense to go to Clubhouse. I don't think either is DOA because of the other. Right. Maybe what about, maybe people what about go to Facebook club? audio? <laughs> That's DOA. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what were you gonna Let, say? Let's see, let's see what they do with it. Well, I'm good. You don't want to follow up on that? We cut you off and now you don't want to talk. Four. I can't hear you. Four times. Four can't times what? Four times. Can't 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 do it. Sorry. The fifth the fifth attempt ain't gonna happen. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm just gonna lay into this. So the the news out of uh, Mike Isaac, um, who um, I love that he still calls himself Rat King, goes news: Facebook's working on a clubhouse competitor a move into audio as the company continues to expand into different forms of social networking. Clubhouse, of course, is on a growth tear in recent weeks. Um, Brandon, how many users do you think Clubhouse has already? Or you, what's the, uh, any, I, any sense? My, my guess is probably a little over 10 million at this point. I, I saw a number a couple of weeks ago that was 5 million. And I think it's been growing pretty rapidly as they've opened it up. And I mean, I, I assume we'll see a Facebook competitor. I assume we'll see a Facebook competitor within weeks just because Facebook throws an army at these things and moves pretty quickly. And whether it's Facebook groups or, uh, you know, ties to Instagram in terms of the you know kind of explore tab, I assume somewhere there's going to be this functionality. Maybe it's tied to Messenger, but somewhere they're going to, you know, clearly going to move into this space because Facebook loves to copy everything that anyone else is doing well. Yeah. I mean, they've, tried to do dating. They've, they've sure. done a lot of things. Some of them have succeeded. Some of their copycats like stories, others um, have failed. Uh, but Facebook has neither of the things that are positive attributes for Twitter and for Clubhouse. One is Clubhouse is purpose-driven and the other is Twitter is built around the interest graph as opposed to the social graph. So I I think that Facebook is third place on this, despite its scale. Two billion people is a lot of people, though. It is a lot of people. That's why they have a chance to succeed with any product they put into the market. Walt, you want to talk Legato? Sure. There was this was I think news that came out actually earlier today. Legato um, signed a deal with. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I think I scolded you for mispronouncing this last week or the week before, and then I was apparently mispronouncing it the whole time, which is classic. So I'm not going to try it. Rakuten, I guess. I probably got it right that time. Plan. Anyway. No, no, it's Rakuten. Uh, I think Ra- it's Rakuten. Uh, let's not even insist that we know what it is. Um, yeah. So Rakuten is you know, very well known for its open RAN. Legato, which we think has tremendous value um, to anyone who won C-Band, which we should find out within a couple of weeks. Why? Because it should lower the cost and speed how quickly someone can build C-band, which is very important to someone like Verizon or AT&T because T-Mobile is, has already has a, a shit ton of spectrum um, from Sprint. 
So what's interesting about this is basically Legato is saying, hey, I'll go, I'll just go after the private LTE market. And Anterix has has already shown that they can effectively monetize Spectrum at over a dollar per megahertz pop. And that's, I know, Brian, that's a nerdy <laughs> tech telecom term, but that is a high number. <laughs> I love your nerdy telecom terms. Well, so that now the risk is if Verizon or whoever wants to sit on their hands and not do something about Legato and they start piecemealing this stuff off to um, to people that are willing to spend for it, um, you know, to use for private LTE networks, it's going to be a lost opportunity. And we'll we just go back. What, what do you want Verizon to do? Like, what should Verizon be? They doing? should lease the spectrum or buy it. And that would help them speed their their 5G build out on C-band. C-band. So what's C-band. the reason for not doing that? Like, if you're sitting there at Verizon, why would why would Hans not want to do this? Uh, maybe they think that, you know, they can build fiber very quickly or they can use massive MIMO antennas or, you know, maybe the T-Mobile is not going to perform as well. Maybe their engineers have a different view on on how much um, it, it can help. But look, AT&T is in a similar situation. They could choose not to and they can go that route. The risk they run, though, is then that, that T-Mobile's lead in having better 5G networks because of Sprint um, will just be longer. And that's fine. And they can just seed share to, to T-Mobile for a longer period of time until at what at which point that they can get, actually get their C-band networks built. Why don't we go and shift gears into gaming, Brandon? Sure. This is a tweet from IGN breaking news at the time, which was EA is spending a whopping $2.1 billion to acquire Diner Dash and Kim Kardashian Hollywood developer Glue Mobile, reinforcing the publisher's plans for mobile game development. And look, this hits on a couple of themes that we've talked about um, on the gamers. First of all, mobile is the biggest vertical in games now. Second of all, things are converging through crossplay. So if you listen meaning to cross platform, like people playing everywhere. Yes. So people playing the same game on mobile, PC, console, uh, across the platforms. And you saw Zynga announce that they actually have games in development that are cross play, um, cross play games. So they're making a move kind of beyond mobile onto onto desktops and onto consoles. But this is sort of the reverse of what's normally. Normally it's consoles and desktop going to That's mobile. Right. When you, so, when you so say every, crossplay. Right. So everything now is is kind of converging. And at the same time, the publishers, at least the US publishers, really missed on mobile. None of them built a real organic mobile business. And I, look, um, Activision did the King acquisition, got started in the last couple of years. They've leaned into working with partners to develop. This is a pretty huge win, games. though, for Glue, right? I mean, like, I remember when we met with Glue and it was like Deer Hunter, like, this is pre Kardashian days. Like, this is a pretty amazing outcome. I would, I mean, I know it's been a yeah, long time I coming. Mean, look, but- look, it was a cash deal. So <laughs> I, I think that's a great outcome. But as far as EA is concerned, Look, that mobile has not been part of their DNA at all. They kind of made it second fiddle. It's clear that it can't be second fiddle anymore. And how they integrate glue and whether they actually use that team to make mobile a core part of their plans across I get their different games, um, across those silos, is going to dictate whether this is a successful acquisition or not. It makes sense to do it because it's an accretive deal. We've talked about tons of cash building up 
on the balance sheet. But we'll 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 see how it goes on the execution front. Does Zynga have to get bought though? I guess is going to be the obvious question. Everyone's going to shine a light on. I, I don't. Like- you know what, Rich? You, we we used to talk about like Netflix becoming HBO before HBO becomes Netflix. And I think that Zynga is just using crossplay and the popularity of free to play to move in that direction on their own naturally, because right. it, so again, maybe they don't need to be. Right. No, and I think they've been actually very good about making acquisitions thus far. As my, 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 what is it? Match dragons or whatever that game is that I keep having <laughs> to spend money on for my, Michaela. my, no, the youngest, I mean, Tali, my youngest is obsessed with that game. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. So let's move on to, um, which I think is good for all of us, or at least good news for, as, as normally we're all New York residents, New York governor, this is CNN breaking news, New York governor Andrew Cuomo says large entertainment and sports venues can reopen starting February 23rd with 10% capacity limit and a testing requirement. So 10% of the Barclays Center or 10% of, of MSG I mean, that's a pretty big number of people inside all of a sudden, Brandon. Yeah, it's a, at MSG, that's like 2,000 people. Obviously, we're kind of in the experimental phase of this, and it's going to be obviously the course that the virus takes, how quickly we get back into venues at full capacity. And you know me, I mean, forget about the business point of view. I can't wait to get my ass back at shows. So hopefully it's it's sooner rather than later, but it's encouraging. What's interesting is I haven't seen any um, super spreader events occur in states like Kansas. I think it's Kansas or Missouri where, you know, where they've let 30 percent or more. Um, The Super Bowl had a bunch of people and obviously everyone's tweeting all these kind of things, shaming people for partying in the streets. We'll see if that generates a super spreader event. But I think there's been plenty of examples of sports arenas that have let more than 10% of people in. And there hasn't been um, massive spreads in those states as a result. Those, those NFL stadiums were outdoor, I think largely though, mm-hmm. and True. the tailgating was outdoor. So arena, a little more tightly packed indoors. I and assume no, everyone will notice, be in a mask. Notice though. that the regulation it's yes. Well, but the regulation itself is arenas that are 10,000 people or, or bigger. So you can really so space get that to spread out social distancing when you're when you're inside. But yep. look, the virus curves are, look fucking awesome. <laughs> They're like falling off like a, I don't know, double black diamond right now. So let's hope we get it, there. It would be great to go to a sporting event or a concert this summer. I'll just say that it would be great to see you again, Rich. And <laughs> it would be it would be very nice. Walt, let's shift gears into Telesat. Yeah, there was big news for Telesat this week where they they announced um, a contract um, to build another LEO. So LEOs are the satellites that are closer to Earth. And it's it's the more popular version of the LEO that everyone's been hearing about is um, what Elon Musk is doing in his SpaceX um, company with Starlink, where they're launching, you know, thousands of satellites to provide better internet to people where they don't exist. So, you know, Telesat is not going that route in terms of um, consumer connectivity, but it's a different route, but it's just another company doing Leos. And there's a lot of questions about whether Leos can truly be successful. There was a lot of attempts historically to do Leos that, that weren't successful, but um, they're doing it. There's AST mobile. What's the biggest difference? What's the biggest reason why it will be latencies, why we've, 
fixed sure. now or theoretically fixed now versus years well, ago? And the other reason there's a resurgence now is because um, launch costs have dropped dramatically. Again, thanks to companies like SpaceX. Um, there's always new technology, new new technology about, um, development. Um, but Leos are closer to the Earth, and so as a result, you know it takes shorter distance to travel, and you've got lower latency. So it's very promising. It's been tried before, but with different technologies. Um, but now you've got a lot of different companies kind of attacking it. So is is competition good for the sector valuation wise or bad? Like how like does it mean that it's people are getting more optimistic about it, or is it, they're all fighting with each other? I mean, part of the I think part of the SpaceX optimism on, on valuation is just Elon's involved, and I think you know there's a lot of haters that think he can't get stuff done, and he does. Um, you know, but I think if Elon can prove that Leos do in fact work relative to geostationary satellites and provide advantage. And clearly, um, capital is going to look for other opportunities to play that. Tell us that, um, you know, being one of those one of those opportunities. So we're going to move into streaming. Where um, what what was interesting is these are both ads that I saw on social media over the course of the last few days. In fact, I don't know. It may, it may just be me. I'm not sure what it tells you about me, but I am getting inundated with discovery plus valentine's day ads like i cannot open up instagram without seeing this this ad for 30 percent off discovery plus it's funny because i'm actually a discovery plus subscriber but it doesn't seem to to care i keep getting hit with this ad but it's uh, essentially six months or 12 months if you actually read the fine print it's six or 12 months at 30 percent off and so um, Discovery clearly trying to get as many subscribers in the door. This is the first quarter of Discovery Plus. So this will be the first time they announce subs when they report. Um, I don't know if they'll give anything when they report Q4, but I assume when they report Q1, they're going to start giving a number. But then we've also got HBO Max basically saying 20% off for six months uh, if you sign up for HBO Max you know, off the $14.99 price. I, the you know the the HBO Max is sort of interesting because they're clearly trying to get you away from subscribing to HBO through your cable and satellite. Like they're not offering those types of discounts through the cable operators or the satellite operators, and it's they're clear that they want to move those subs over. But it's just sort of interesting that you know I I don't ever remember Brandon seeing Netflix at twenty or thirty percent off if you committed to you know going way back. I'm not no, saying I mean, the, last the, the the only promos for Netflix really were first first month free. That's it. Correct. And even those are gone now, but you're right. It was first month free and that was it. And yet every one of these streaming services keeps offering more and more aggressive promotions. I mean, uh, I mean, Spotify even did. I mean, Spotify is doing quite well, but we've seen those promotions every year, especially around holiday time for, for Spotify. We've seen them for Hulu. We've seen synthetic bundles of the, of the various apps um, and anything to kind of um, deal with gross ads and limit churn. And, um, and we'll see, we'll see more of it. And like we said, eventually you'll see these apps come together in a rebundling. I just wonder if you can raise price, you know, you know, the, the ARPU of these services is so low. And when you start cutting it down, I mean, I didn't put it up on the screen, but Paramount plus also is offering 50% off. You can get you can get Paramount Plus pre-launch. They're doing ad free for a year for fifty dollars. By the way, th- these, guys are, a month. these guys are all looking at other other companies playbooks. Remember, Disney did do something similar to that before they launched Disney Plus. They did. 
Remember, I think, didn't you lock it in for three years, Rich? Three years at like, I probably three or $4 a month for that three-year promotion. Um, They also effectively gave it away for free for a year via Verizon. Yeah, that's true. That's another part, like those biz dev deals are another part of the playbook. So there's nothing too unique here, I don't think. Well, no, except for the fact that they're making it cheaper and cheaper to get access to streaming. And then they're wondering why cord cutting is accelerating. I mean, Comcast <laughs> is talking about losing a million eight subscribers this year. We just saw, you know, I mean, Hulu put up negative 100,000 subscribers for their live TV service. Yeah, but didn't Fubo just take their share? <laughs> uh, <laughs> F- F- uh. Fubo added a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're all going to Fubo. <laughs> I don't know. It's just sort of interesting that like they're all sort of jamming lower and lower prices on these streaming services. They, all they want to do is show sub numbers because they think that's what the street will get excited about. It's clearly working for the stocks in the short term, but yet sort of the bottom of the pay TV ecosystem and the advertising businesses we talked about, all of those signs look really, really ominous as we move through 21. Uh, next, we have um, sort of it's certainly something that seemed out of left field. I certainly wasn't expecting to see this. This is Alex Heath tweeting. Microsoft approached Pinterest recently about a buyout. Reads like talks are over now, but still, whoa. And this was an FT article that Microsoft made an approach to buy Pinterest. So Microsoft has bought LinkedIn. They've bought Minecraft. Uh, they have tried to buy TikTok. And now they've tried to buy Pinterest. Like, what's going on with Microsoft, Brandon? Um, I think that it it seems pretty clear that the deal with TikTok is probably not going to happen, and they're looking to diversify in mobile. And this is probably is a uh, a, a second place acquisition. And like cool. like TikTok, they I think they wanted to work with Walmart and do things in commerce. And Pinterest is a very as commerce driven of a social app as exists there. So that's a great point. Like if if you really wanted to tie together and use the technical resources, like it's interesting, right? Because they haven't really done anything to innovate notably on a Minecraft or on a LinkedIn, but they obviously have massive technology backbone. It's one of the reasons why they were interested in TikTok. You know, how much can just the, the leveraging the resources of Microsoft allow Pinterest to move faster and set up sort of business arrangements like you're talking about whether it be Walmart or some other retailer, seems like it would make a lot of sense strategically. Um, I just wonder whether if you're Pinterest, do you really need to sell? Like the tailwind seems so tremendous in terms of retail moving from physical to digital. And they have the whole international market to unlock also. Yeah, It seems odd to even, you know, maybe that's why they got turned down. I get Microsoft's interest. I wonder if you're Pinterest, do you really want to sell here? What, you know, why would you want to sell here when the the greenfield ahead uh, seems tremendous. Microsoft is definitely a that. company that, you know, they've got this great cloud Azure business, the, the office um, having moved to the cloud also good. What they're, what they're dabbling in with what you guys, you know, um, are talking about. It was a fail in terms of the windows mobile phone. That was a fail on the networking side though. There has been some indications where they want to be a new entrant in doing the 5g core and, and, and you know, we had a call last night, Lightship Premium Access, with a, a senior Samsung network executive. And what's interesting about a 5G core is it will enable big tech companies, whether it's Microsoft or Amazon, to say, like, okay, I'm not relying on 
AT&T to tune the network so you get better reception, but maybe it impacts your battery a certain way. There's like little tweaks that if you control the network that only you, AT&T or Verizon or T-Mobile can do. If you do a true network slicing with a 5G core, with a new entrant like Microsoft, what a large tech company can do with a wireless operator changes dramatically. And, and this is exactly the stuff that DISH is trying to target in terms of this open RAN network slicing down into the core. So it'll be interesting to see. And look, we've talked about the potential partners being the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Googles of the world. This so is why... Right. So this is why a Microsoft should partner with a dish, I mean, at least conceptually. It could also just be a part of them selling products within that particular, um, you know, that particular set. So it'll, it'll definitely be, you know, fascinating, fascinating to watch um, to see how that kind of moves going forward. Uh, we're going to move into dating, Brandon, and this is dating overseas dating. in Korea. <laughs> Kind of random, right? Um, but a fairly sizable acquisition for uh, for Match. And this one from Axios, new. Online dating company Match Group announced plans today to acquire Korean social media company HyperConnect for $1.73 billion. And look, uh, Match is a portfolio of dating assets globally. Their goal is to... You know, participate from the global unlock of the online dating TAM. And what people don't realize about dating is that it's actually a very local business. Think about it, right? If a, if I'm online dating, all that matters to me is what the local profile scale right. is in my you, market. You, you don't so care you, about Korea. Yeah. Well, I don't care about Korea. I don't even care about who's on in Chicago. Right? right. So in order to build that local scale, I think sometimes they're going to be able to move products like Tinder um, or uh, even Match.com into these markets and get scale. Other times the markets will be hard to penetrate and they're go They're going to need to buy it. So well, but, but, but but on the flip side, I want to go back to that buying point because I think it's really important. There hasn't been in terms of like large scale public companies, you know, trying to gobble up companies from around the world. It's basically been all match, right? Like you talk all the time about how Live Nation is basically the only buyer for all of these international companies yeah. and they're going to roll up all over the globe. That's certainly what match is trying to do here. But there's a new entrant this week that's public. And so I wonder how that changes that in the dating yeah. space now that Bumble's public. Yeah, I mean, Bumble has currency now and right. and they can do stock deals much, much more easily. I think. Bumble's obviously never going to beat Match Group in this category. The question is, is there room for more than one? And if you think about online dating, most people, at least in the bigger cities, use multiple, multiple apps. And I think Bumble sort of appeals across age groups and crosses the line between appealing to people who are casually dating and looking for relationships. I think they could be a decent second player, but like match, they need to unlock global scale to get margin expansion. And they're, they're definitely going to play for assets too, is my guess. We've got our last slide of the week, uh, which I'm going to pull up, which is um, something that um, sort of speaks to sort of the, the rise of content. So we've got the Hollywood Reporter 
Connor Shell, ESPN's former EVP of content, is launching a new unscripted content studio backed by Peter Chernin's Chernin Entertainment. You know, what, what's interesting about this is that, um, you know, Connor was the one who sort of got Last Dance uh, produced and, and made that obviously, you know, tremendous success and has done 30 for 30. But what I find interesting is that, you know, we talk all the time about being an arms dealer in Hollywood right now and the explosion of demand for content. We've obviously seen huge rise in pricing for, you know, things like game. You know, everyone wants to make the next Game of Thrones. Everyone wants to make the next, you know, and prices for, you know, anything that looks like a succession. These prices are going sky high. But for all of these streaming services, they need a far wider diversity of content. They can't just have scripted hours uh, of dramas like they need lots of other forms of, of programming. And I think, you know, deals like this are just sort of showcase that there is going to be a tremendous thirst whether it's HBO Max, whether it's Discovery Plus, like they're all going to need lots of different forms of content to attract different types of viewers. People don't want just the same type of content all the time. And I think, you know, obviously Netflix has been early here. You're seeing, you know, I think you're going to see Disney Plus, Hulu. I mean, all of them are going to have to do a lot more in an unscripted over the course of the next couple of years. And I think this is just the beginning of a big wave of all types of content getting more and more you know, compelling to these streaming services. They need to diversify because otherwise they're all they're going to be doing is offering these you know, discounts and promos that we talked about earlier to keep and retain subscribers. Okay, so that wraps episode 43. Brandon, I, I assume you're going to be heading directly off of the podcast to hop on to Clubhouse. I already got like 48 alerts. alerts. No, I got something like that. Every minute of this podcast, I got an alert for something I might be interested in, in Clubhouse. So well, yeah, the big event I'm, is I'm, coming. I'm piecing out right on. There's definitely, <laughs> that is true. I got tons of alerts as well. <laughs> um, and by the way, anyone that needs an invite, please send, that has not gotten to Clubhouse, we're happy to invite you in and you can listen to this nonsense. But there is a big event potentially coming. Um Rich, Elon Musk tweeted, just agreed to do Clubhouse with Kanye West. Which, this is confirmed. So, you know, we actually, Kayvon was on the spaces, one of the spaces that we were doing with Rich and talked about um, how they're going to be doing much more than 5,000 people within one room. So we'll see if, if they get um, Kanye and Elon, whether they expand it beyond the 5,000. My, my, by, by the way, my suggestion is, if you can't get in, just wait for like the half hour mark. That's when everyone gets inundated with these alerts and people accidentally drop out of the room and that's how you can sneak in. So if you want to um, see Ye and and uh, Elon, that's the way to do it. I mean, the we other, had a couple. The other suggestion is probably to do some drugs before you listen to that. Wait, why not just do the overflow rooms? <laughs> I mean, the over the overflow rooms are the same. That's what I don't really understand. It's limited to 5,000, but there's like... 30 overflow rooms with the same content. No, it's not. No, those overflow rooms are just rebroadcasts. So. Yeah. And then people are chatting into them. Anyway, I don't it, know. It, it could be. We'll see if their servers can handle it. Should we do some Kanye to, to, to for the outro? Do you want yes, to you want to take us out with some Kanye? Yeah, let's my, let's my take favorite, it out. My favorite song, please. Lift yourself. These bars. These bars. Scoop. 
Scoop dee dee whoop. Whoop dee scoop. That's episode 43, everyone. Uh, yeah, Have a great that's, weekend. that's enough. Have these a good bars, weekend. These bars.